0: This episode of the Interchange is made possible by ABSA and Simu.
1: Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of a new season of the Interchange. We're coming to you live from Cliff Central Studios in the heart of Johannesburg. I am your host, Busim Kumbozi. Now, this morning, as I was enjoying my cup of coffee and my daily read of the news, I saw an article about renewable energy potentially reducing climate change and decimating all giants across the world beyond recovery. Um, the installment of large-scale wind turbines, the vastly improved efficiency of cells, and significantly more efficient large batteries all carry this promise of new technology stopping and reversing global warming and securing a, prosper fi- a prosperous future rather for all mankind. Now, as you can imagine, this got me excited. Good news on a Monday morning is rare. But when one takes a closer look at society, this promise of prosperity that technology supposedly brings is not as abundantly clear as the article suggests. In fact, it seems a little bit fallacious. And I think we can't blame technology. Because technology isn't driving itself. It doesn't want anything. But we have to blame someone, and this debate is asking who we should blame. Many thinkers around the globe are now saying that instead of ending human exploitation and bringing the masses prosperity, the private ownership of these technologies begets misery. Under capitalism, the solar panel sector is chaotic. There is inadequate financing for renewable energy. The fossil fuel sector is fighting a deadly battle for survival. Capitalist interests, which is basically the expansion of capital and the accumulation of wealth and control, means that there's hostility and a lust for profit that potentially obstructs the prosperous future that we're constantly being told technology is bringing into the world. I believe there's a genuine discussion to be be had here. And to unpack the motion, this House believes that the advancement of technology exacerbates global inequality, thus giving truth to the main critiques of capitalism, I've got Bettina Boweng Baidu, who is a Ghanaian anime and Beyonce Diehard stan and medical student. Dan Peter, who is a law student and debater, I've got Maxine Kumalo, a colourful vid astrophysics student, and Umar Bakis, an honours student in BSc Construction (laughs) Studies and also a debater. And my expert in studio today is Ndumiso Hadebe, who is a development economist frequently in the media, speaking on the development of South Africa and Africa as a whole. Welcome, everyone. Good to have you in studio. Now, I'm going to start with Ndumiso um, I have a question for you, and I want to ask from you if you think it's true that instead of improving human life and society's living conditions, capitalism's technological advancements have ultimately ended up causing unprecedented disparity, unchecked exploitation and harrowing poverty. And if so, what do you think can be done, especially in the context of today's debate?
0: Well, that's quite a loaded question. I think on the aspect of capitalism, there are two sides to this particular story. I think, um, when we look at the economic system that we currently use, not only in South Africa, but across, across mm-hmm. the globe, which is capitalistic in nature, we have seen the fastest progress in uh, halving, um, poverty in the, in the past hundred years alone. Sure. Uh, we've seen advancements in terms of, uh, GDP per capita outcomes. So, mm-hmm. meaning the standards and quality of lives of people, um, have improved quite vastly over the mm-hmm. last 100 years alone. But I think the, there's also a conside to every development story, and part of that conside is to say those who have been able to solicit the most beneficiation under the very same system have been able to use that yeah. to their own advantage. And so there are certain considerations that when we look at something we refer to as the upward social mobility of people, meaning mm-hmm. if a, if an individual is born poor, that they won't necessarily die poor. Yeah. What are some of the considerations that lead to that particular outcome where that individual will not die poor? Mm-hmm. And so therefore we need to critique this particular framework or the system through that lens. What are those considerations and what do we need to do to ensure that we better enhance um, those particular considerations ensuring that the lives of people is improved across the board.
1: That's really powerful, especially in the context of the fact that we're being told that this is the promise that technology brings, and this promise is is, is not just for the haves, but it's also for the have-nots. Now, before we get into this debate, let's quickly run through the rules of engagement. As always, we're using the British parliamentary style of debating. We have four speakers, two on each side, a proposition team and an opposition team. We begin with proposition speaker one and end off with opposition speaker two. Each speaker has four minutes to deliver their speech. The first and the last minute are protected. And between then, points of information may be asked. All right, squad, are we all ready?
2: Yeah. Ready, ready, (laughs)
3: ready. Cool. With nothing further to do, I welcome the first speaker of Proposition, Bettina. Let's get right into it, because we believe that this conversation that we are having is extremely important and one that everyone should be discussing. And today's topic is about whether or not capitalism and global technology is furthering um, global inequality. So to make this debate quite meaty, let's clear up a few issues moving forward. So firstly, what do we define as advancement in technology? And we define this to be specifically in relation to industrial development, for example, automation, mechanization, as well as information technology. Secondly, what do we mean by global inequality? Let's be very, very clear here. We are not talking about the ability for technology to um, decrease poverty or to make the wealth um, or to generate wealth for individuals. We are specifically looking at the disparity of wealth between the haves and between the have-nots, between developing countries and developed countries, between the rich and the poor. We're looking at is this divide getting larger because of technology develop, um, development or is it getting smaller? So this, this, this debate is specific about. So with that clear team, that is going to bring you guys five Killer ass arguments in today's debate. <laughs> so let's get into. A minute this. is up. Our first argument is that excessive capital is needed to engage in this system, and this is in terms of the amount you need to engage in research and development. And only large corporations and developed countries have the ability to do this. For example, Shame. developing a single three D printer costs over seven hundred and fifty thousand US dollars. Furthermore, an article in the Geo World magazine listed As sixty of the world's most innovative countries, and of those sixty only three were developing nations. What this proves is that so many people are locked out of the system and aren't able to take advantage of this capitalist system. Moreover, when we look at the international access to information technology, a study showed that 90% of Singaporeans have access to internet while only 10% of Africans have this access. If you're looking at true development, the ability to get there is limited for most of our population. Second argument, so what's left for individuals who aren't able to create this technology. Their option is to buy it. And if we look at the process of acquiring this technology, it's usually and often very expensive because this technology is meant to be on a small scale. Once it's mass produced, the demand increases and so does the price. Quick maths. What this means is that demand and supply um, issues come into place and this price increases um, the ability for people to be able to engage with it. I'll take a point. So the reality
4: is that when we can build technology to be better, it can be made cheaper and faster. When you try to no the
3: cheaper for who? Fails. So yes, okay. So people might be able to buy like more stuff, but we're looking at the divide, right? Those who are able to produce it are always going to be earning more than oh, those shame. who are buying it, and therefore all you are doing is further perpetuating the wealth gap in this situation. Third argument. Our third argument looks at the cost of acquiring patents. So even if our smaller, younger countries and corporations are able to finally create this technology, usually the price Of being able to patent it for your benefit Is very expensive So even if they can innovate The ability to control this technology Becomes far less reachable for them Lastly, the personal part of this debate will always be the large-scale loss of jobs due to technological advancement. Let us not pretend that by 2030, 800 million jobs will be lost due to mechanization. This is a reality we are facing. So even if you think people can buy cheaper stuff, will they have the money and economic ability to be able to do this? With these four killer arguments and two arguments from Dan's speech, I think we're clearly on our way to winning this debate. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We love that. We now welcome the first speaker off site opposition next
4: scene. <coughs> Today's society is healthier, probably the least poor and probably the um, the society of the most inclusion of the poor that's ever happened in, in the history of the world. Yes, today's debate is about that gap. But the reality is that especially when it comes to information, a lot of the harms that proposition brings you are mitigated by the fact that technology can f- faster grow for people who are poor rather than other resources have in the past. So... Firstly, in terms of some rebuttal, I think the first thing we have to understand is um, Bettina talks about this idea of production. It means that the people who produce these um, resources, produce this technology, have all the access, and individuals who don't are the ones who have to pay the price who get screwed over in the long run. This is just not true. The reality is that when it comes to an information revolution, it means that all the governments have to do is put in the fiber optic cables. It means that all the governments have to do is provide um, – uh, it, it, me, what all people have to make? do is have uh, a cell phone which can send an SMS in order to do cell phone banking. All those resources are available to people and because it's about information and because we're not buying... The purchasing software A world in where software Is often free This is much easier Than in the past Imagine getting a job Before you'd have to Pay somebody To access a, a, a consulting firm you have to pay Somebody to be in the queue you have to pay To get through those scenarios Now being able to Access the internet And a, and a, and a wifi Provided by the government Means you can PL? be on A website You can be on LinkedIn You haven't paid anybody To access the same resources that used to be paid for Information revolution Democratizes information That we used to have to pay for This is much better For the poor But let's move on To some substantive here. The first thing that we're going to be proving is the benefits of innovation. So firstly, when it comes to innovation, I alluded by POI, it's about growth. What happens is the more we invest in innovation, the more we're able to make it cheaper. The same 3D printer that Bettina talks about is now only three figures, which means that individuals are able to actually own 3D printers. Before, it was just um, universities. The future, we'll be able to access them as easily as anyone else. This innovation of using more complicated resources means that we're actually able to make things cheaper in a way that we can't by just mass marketing or any that other topic. economic principle. The next thing that we have to understand is that when it comes to consumers, consumer goods always get cheaper when we have access to more technology. Things like rob- robots, the same things that are replacing people's jobs yeah. make our resources cheaper. It means that people can buy things they couldn't before. Think about how Amazon has pushed the prices down on lots of our consumer goods because they're able to access them cheaply. Pure.
3: But Maxine, the new nature of this development is that masses of people are going to lose their jobs. So How are they going to acquire these magical advancements you're talking about okay. in this industry? So
4: I think what's important to understand is that predatory industries exist with or without technology. We'd find pre- industries that exclude people, industries that are, are bad for our society, continue. All these problems of capitalism will fester even if we don't have technology. It's government's prerogative to make that easy. The reason we fight for free higher education, the reason we fight for quality education in these developing nations is because that's what accesses people to the jobs they deserve. deserve. Those jobs are the ones that people deserve to have and this actually gives an incentive for governments to want to educate their people when those jobs don't Exists. It's not okay for us to be working in sweatshops and to have less of a life. So we tell you today's debate that technology is better for the poor, gives them better jobs and a better standard of living. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Maxine. I'm now going to welcome the second speaker of side Proposition,
5: Dan. So unfortunately, what we got from the opposition is what we were expecting, uh, which yeah, was yeah. a lot of argumentation about the capacity for technology to generate wealth. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not what we're discussing in today's debate. Uh, specifically, when we speak about wealth generators, if we want to move towards equality, then the level of wealth which a wealth generator allocates – in different sections of society has to be inversely proportional to the distribution of wealth that's currently uh, the state I- in society. In other words, it has to account for the differential between each person's level of wealth and the average in society. Okay. And so in order for, wealth, for for this wealth generator to make uh, not to entrench inequality, it has to actually be giving more wealth to poorer people than it is to to wealthier people. That's not the case. Um, and so simply the fact that it generates some wealth for poorer people when it's mass produced is not enough for, it to, for us to say that it doesn't entrench inequality. Quality. Um, so, with that mm-hmm. in mind, we need to just quickly deal with some rebuttals. So, firstly, we were told that a lot of these harms that we've given um, don't actually stand because you can mass produce technology and make it less expensive. Well, we have to remember the specific nature of technological innovation, right, especially when it comes to automation and mechanization and things like that. One minute is And that? the point here is that by the time that you mass produce that technology to make it affordable to uh, uh, people who are not large corporations in society, society, countries who are not wealthy countries in the world, that technological innovation has already moved on, right? The comparative advantage that you get from technologically innovating has already been given once again to the larger corporations okay. who have moved on with their technology. And so it's great you can mass-produce technology, but you've lost the advantage economically by the time you're mass-producing it. Um... And uh, secondly, when it speaks to this predatory, uh, how capitalism is inherently predatory, yes, we agree, right? But we think that technological innovation is specifically prone to predatory behavior because of the capacity to monopolize innovation. Um And so uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, access to wealth, uh, not now, uh, in terms of access to wealth, um we think that uh, it's really important to understand how these systems occur, right? And we were told by, by side opposition that we can mitigate a lot of these harms and it's the government's responsibility to mitigate harms. But in economics, we have to understand understand that when a government makes attempts to mitigate externalities, the more you mitigate externalities, the greater the chance of undermining the incentive for the system to occur in the first place, right? And so when you try to mitigate the externalities of technological innovation, very often you undermine the incentive for people to innovate, right? When you try to equalize the advantage that technological innovation gives different actors in society, you undermine the incentive for large corporations and research and development hubs to innovate because they lose that economic advantage. And so you actually have to choose one of those two systems. You can't have a perfect world where you mitigate all of the externalities and you still have technological innovation. Yeah, yeah. And we think the most likely outcome is for people to choose innovation and for that advantage to be centred within large corporations and wealthier countries. Um, I'll take a point of, if there is one.
4: That's just not true. When you have a look at what happens, startups aren't, like in these hubs and big companies there are individuals who are creative or creating their own ideas who often aren't coming from super wealthy backgrounds who are using understanding of technology and IT to push forward those ideas. It's more democratized than that. Well, that,
5: it's very interesting that you mentioned startups and those being in individuals. Firstly, uh, the majority of startup funding does actually come from corporations, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not really from the, the sort of the GoFundMes yeah. that we see right in large crowdfunding. But even those that do occur is a huge failure rate of startups specifically because they're not protected by large amounts of capital. And secondly, when it comes to those startups, that's generally individuals who are benefiting and not, and and that contributes towards the main critique of capitalism, right? Is individuals accumulating accumulating large amounts of wealth and not spreading out in society. Mm -hmm. Um, But the last thing to understand is that the system is very difficult to manage, right? It's very difficult to litigate for the protection of intellectual property. Not only when you're you're someone who doesn't have many resources within a country that has an active litigation system, but in countries that don't have well-functioning judiciaries for the protection of intellectual property, it's very difficult to protect your intellectual property against predatory behaviour. And so we think for all of those reasons, it's very likely that people are going to be undermined by technological innovation and inequality is going to worsen. Thank you. Thank,
1: Thank you so you much. On. And now to close the <coughs> side case and also to close this debate, I welcome the second speaker of side opposition, Omar. Okay, hi um, So I think
2: Unfortunately the trap That comes with many Debaters is that They hide behind rhetoric And that's ultimately What we've seen here today so, drag me. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do Is actually ground The debate in reality And I think that's Something that's sorely needed Especially when we're yes, Talking yeah. about Largely the African context Right? So that, I mean The expert talks about This high rate of development That we see in Africa And why do we see This high rate of development? But you know Like she straight up Lies to you Let's be honest Right? The fact well, of the shame. matter is We've moved away From the very expensive Satellite connectivity That we've seen Predominantly in the world yeah, We've yeah. seen now The sub marine connections such as fiber backbones coming from Europe into Africa vastly increasing not only the rate of <coughs> connectivity and the speed of it but also decreasing the price making it largely accessible right yetino yeah, yeah. talks about how this technology is not available to people we need to recognize again a blatant lie the fact of the matter is we have people who are producing fact. devices technology such as cell phones right at like largely like large large quantities also at a greatly reduced prices let's look at people like Huawei uh, ult- ultimately, okay, cool, listen, we have some issues with Huawei But ultimately, <laughs> Africa made them the giant that they are today yeah, right? yeah. This is the fact of the matter, right? We need to recognize in trying to get Africa to to to, to 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 capitalize on the resources And ultimately the the, the valuable uh, promises it holds We need to accept the, things like that, right? So let's talk about expressly what they want us to do, right? Addressing this gap in inequality And the, the thing is, right, and the fact of the matter is That this technology is expressly doing this We need to look at the fact that over the last couple of years We've seen over a 300% increase in the rate of mobile data usage because people have access to these devices, right? Yeah. We've seen a 50, 58% increase in the amount of people who have these devices. This expressly allows people to overcome you structural I? inequality that capitalism entrenches, right? The expert again tells us that we have to buy into this capitalist system, and there are these pros and cons. But if we look again to the spirit of Africa and the spirit of entrepreneurship in particular, we need to recognize, and this is where like Dan's manner on like like the the, the like I think more to speaking to like the intellectual property and like monopoly. Mon- monopolization of innovation we need to recognize especially in, in in Africa right because of the lack of these entrenched systems they're often they're often able to implement innovation really really quickly yeah, right? yeah. because they don't have uh, I'll take you in a second because they don't have this express structure that they need to take down in the first place we need to recognize there are places in Africa using drones for delivery of major services whereas like first world countries like America are struggling to implement that but you know what's up
3: please engage with who is innovating and who is able to innovate okay again at this so point. here's the thing it's so not Africa that's y- innovating yeah. to that extent so I
2: mean listen and this is what we're talking yeah, yeah. about and and this is what i'm trying to address in your point you're ultimately asking us how do we change this divide I will effectively educate these people and this is the way we do it by providing mass access providing a cheap way to to actively um again to Bridge that gap between the have and the, ha- the haves and the have-nots again. Like, not want to keep pointing to him because he is the expert in the room. The fact of the matter is, he talks again how the the and I think you guys, Dan, you also speak to it, is that these people do tend to monopolize the innovation, and we do end up with something akin to, um, akin to like, uh, uh, akin to a, a, a very strong monopoly, right? But we need to look at like models, and this is where Maxine's poi on startups becomes quite pertinent, right? It's talking to things like like disruptive technologies like like Airbnb and Uber, and and, and Africa is a key key stakeholder in this, right? Yeah. you're effectively
5: you can take me yeah. the yeah. middleman, right when to recognize that's the sort of that's the sort of development that we're ultimately trying to do there's Dan. a minute left it's very optimistic that you speak about the equalizing effect of lack of uh, lack of intellectual property in africa the reality of the case is that predatory large corporations adopt the technology that innovators in africa yeah, use, yeah. and they don't have to pay any price for it because of the lack of ip infrastructure
2: again something we ultimately need to address but that's ultimately not the crux of the, where the crux of the debate lies the crux yeah. of the debate lies how do we ultimately provide the most access to the most people and the fact right. of the matter is the Pre- the, 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 the revolution in terms of providing these services Such as uh, ICT services Which is what you ultimately asked us to provide in this debate And that's why the debate falls into our corner Because when we look at the scale at which things are being provided If we yes, look at the yeah. scale that people are able to educate themselves And overcome things Without looking at long-term development of infrastructure Across the continent of Africa We need to recognize that this, this over, overarching like access to technology And access to the ability for people to develop resources to Is definitely worth and it one,
1: Umar, your time is up Thank you so much for that passion and fiery debate. so. what do you think about the arguments that have been put forward by both sides? What do you think we could take away from both arguments?
0: I think both, uh, uh, both teams articulated issues that are quite uh, dominant in the current discourse with regards to innovation and global inequality. I think uh, both from the proposition and the opposition side, uh, the, the points that you raised are quite valid. I th- I also do think that perhaps I would have loved some kind of um, um, succinct definition with respect to are we talking about wealth inequality or income inequality because both are vastly mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the posture of the debate that you take could take different routes, mm. either at an industrial level or at an ownership level or whatever the case may be. That's that's on the one side. But I think as well, the, there's also the idea around degree of inequality, um, which level of inequality is acceptable and which level of inequality is not. Because I think when we are in pragmatic terms, inequality will always be there. Mm. What we can do is try to reduce it. So I I would have loved to also get a sense from both teams what degree of inequality would be acceptable. Mm. Um, uh, Thirdly, there's also this idea around the moral limits of innovation. Um, which speaks to the idea of ethics um, and where the role of ethics also plays with the, within this particular discussion. Because at the end, at the end of the day, we, whether it be on the proposition side or on the opposition side, it becomes an ethical question. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have loved to hear if there were the, uh, some of those thoughts would, would, would have come out quite strongly. Mm-hmm. But I think both on the, on the proposition side and on the opposition side, both arguments are quite valid and makes it quite difficult um, to actually assess which side takes it based on the quality of arguments that both uh, both teams mm. provided.
1: And just on that point, and, and I mean to give credit to both sides here as well, why do some things, why do some uh, technologies um, and technological advancements work and others don't? And I'm thinking here about Wi-Fi balloons that are being... Um, you know, installed by the likes of Google and Facebook all across Africa that are giving unprecedented access to Wi-Fi in communities that would otherwise not have connectivity and would not be able to connect on social media, for instance. But at the same time, there's technologies that have the possibility to, res- to return sight to the blind. And yet those aren't technologies that, you know, the average um, 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 lady or, or gentleman has when they go to um, um Hospital in Soweto. So So what causes... Us to have access to some technologies and not others, and how do we create more access in order to to, to close this inequality gap that we're trying to debate in today's topic? So there are
0: four key considerations when we are talking about inclusivity whether it be financial inclusion or technological inclusion or whatever the case may be. There are four key things that play a role. Number one is the, the, the level of education of an individual or a society with respect to a particular subject. That is a contributing factor. Secondly is the network effects and microeconomics is a concept that speaks to network effects um, particularly in the tech space which is quite mm. prevalent that whenever you push up um, uh, subscription usage of, of your particular Platform Their the multiply Effects as a, co- as a Consequence of That so the Networks and the Connections that An individual has Or an Organization or Society has Enables them to, to get, Gain a particular Advantage in a Particular mm-hmm. sector or industry um, um, Thirdly becomes The regulatory Environment that Makes it conducive Enough or mm-hmm. not Conducive for a Particular set of Technology for it To be inclusive Or not mm-hmm. In the South African case we Remember in the Early 90s um, uh, After in, 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 in a Democratic Dispensation um, I think you guys would remember we once had public phones where you had to have like a twenty rand card to use in the public phones. Yeah. Then Telkom had this idea that look, we want to make household landlines, um, and it was uh, extremely expensive for them to roll out of that kind of program. They went to the Ministry of tele- Telecommunications. Ministry of Telecommunications invested in the infrastructure, the, tele- the telecom lines infrastructure, and Telkom. Then utilize and other tele- telecommunications providers use that kind of line, so that mm. speaks to the regulatory environment that makes it, that makes it conducive enough for a particular innovation or technology to be uh, to be um, inclusive or not mm. um, um, and, and, and lastly the, the the last aspect is this idea of wealth um, mm. wealth in all things it becomes a precursor of the success of an individual. Um, in most cases, yeah. in the sense that an individual who's born into a family that has zero rands, or an individual who's born into a family that has a million rands, there's a specific advantage that an individual has. For instance, mm. an individual who has a million rands, should they find themselves in trouble with the law, they can be able to afford a good lawyer and a good legal team to be able to support mm. their case, whereas an individual who does not can't afford that. Mm. Uh, an individual who has comes from a family that has a million rand versus the one who comes from a family that has zero rands can be able to start up a business should they want to do so, mm. whereas the one who does not have a million rands won't be able to do that. So wealth as a precursor for inclusion and for equality is also a key determinant. As well in this mm. particular discussion
1: Maxine you believe that um, Some of the things Dumiso talks about can be overcome Within capitalism mm-hmm. And you talk about the benefits of capitalism Specifically you talk about the 3D printer And I find that very interesting because just last night I was uh, uh, googling 30 Christmas gifts to buy For your tech a child I mean he's, he's not even 10 months old but I'm already there And one of the things they had on there uh, and Which was quite affordable and take a lot Was actually a 3D printer um, For children and I just want to Ask you how do you think capitalism achieves Such a feat and, and, and um, You know to just extend and give Nuance to your case specifically You know how do you think we, we can Get more of this rather Than more of the inequality And more of people not having Access to
4: technologies so I think um, one of the ways is something that Dan brought up about um, the way we understand intellectual property. So it's like at the moment, there's quite a stark contrast with the way we approach software to how mm. we approach hardware. So I think one of the reasons that lots of these new 3D printers are great is lots of that software is open source. So the way the software works for most people is that you can go on – the internet and access literally anything for free. Even the most complicated software that you would um use on your phone, you can access most of it for free. So most of Mm. the apps that we use every day were sourced literally from the internet. All people want is a credit. And that's that culture I think is something that really does help capitalism to make things. So that culture
1: actually exists given the fact that Google, for example, Mm. prides itself in being an open source um being this open source space yeah. for geeks and experts. But but actually, um,
4: it's it's a galaxy of like multi-billionaires. Mm. No, that's true. I think what it does at least is it gives some opportunities for the little guy. So specifically, Google won't create another Google, like with the way they have open source, but using the open source code, Lots of these apps where people are literally only getting a salary for themselves as an individual are able to use to help to pull themselves out of poverty. So, yes, it's probably still going to perpetuate those monopolies and oligopolies in the society. But those resources can provide people to make small businesses from literally zero to try and Mm. make themselves do better. So I think... Um, We still need better laws to break up the monopolies, but I think the way that they're approaching tech is very different to how patents were in the past for products were used, where they were very secretive and very held on to, like the pharmaceutical industry, for example. Very different approach. Bettina, you disagree. In fact, in your (laughs) speech, you mentioned that people are locked out of development.
1: And I want to extend that idea to a topic that I know we are both very passionate about, uh, women and people of color. I was was listening to Melinda Gates say that she can count the number of women in AI in the USA on two hands. And that means that women in POC aren't at the table of creating the future. Um, and I want to know from you, what do you think this means in terms of baking systemic bias into the technologies we're producing and even into our future as we know it?
3: Yeah. Um, I'm a very anti establishment, anti big corporation individual, <laughs> um, because I believe that big corporation, when it, is allowed to run unregulated, mm. um, damages society, harms people, and is, and is very predatory in the way that it acts. And I think when we look at the new nature of this automation, and we have to realize that it's not the industrial revolution, right? Mm. Where you are making jobs available, where you are creating jobs. It's a very different type of innovation that's happening in our current societies. It has a very different nature. This nature is meant to lock individuals out. I was reading an article about like, um, automation in the cotton, um, industry in Africa, and the cotton industry was the largest employer um, of women um, in the African continent because a lot of women were able to go onto cotton and plantations and pick that cotton farms and, and they weren't able to have other access to jobs that men do and once automation happened most of those women lost their jobs lost their livelihood and we know African women don't just look after themselves they're looking yeah. after an entire household because they boss like that so for that reason automation on even the very like individual level is already screwing people over on a large scale level i mean in terms of industry Yes, so many women aren't in those industries, aren't owning this technology. So in both places, women are being screwed over on a small scale and on the large scale. Mm. And we need regulation. We need governments to step in and really think about how we are moving forward and African governments especially. Mm. How are we going to be engaging with innovation and automation moving forward? I'm, I'm afraid of the robots. (laughs) (laughs) We need to, we need to start thinking about these things actively and how we're going to regulate it. Um, Omar, would you disagree?
1: I mean, I, I saw as I was driving um, a long distance trip, Recently, And, you know, in previously you'd have people, if there's a, a like a highway being renovated, people sort of waving, a, you know, a, a flag on the road, essentially t- um, trying to indicate to your car to like move lanes. And now you have sort of miniature robot thingies, balloonies, things that like replaced humans and do that kind of work. But isn't that work inhuman and like undignified in the first instance?
2: I think you're you're talking to a very classic catch twenty two of development, right? It's at a point where we need jobs in Africa and we need employment for people. Do we value work that is ultimately, firstly, low paying, but also low skill? We don't see development of these families. We don't see development of these individuals long term, right? You mean, and 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 it's 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 it's, again, it's the problem because we want people to be employed, we want money to be given to these people, but how do we allow this? And it's it's again, it's why I ultimately am a proponent of of the furthering of technologies because surely by giving access to someone. like, let's say a small family, right? A small family with access to a phone. Um, in, in certain African countries, phones are being used as a banking tool, right? Yeah. You can conduct business on phones, right? Um, similar to like the e-wallet system. And this is what I think is ultimately the way because I don't particularly value like these low-income jobs long-term for Africa's development, right? I'm a big proponent of pushing technology so Africa can overcome the gap that it's currently facing. Mm. I, I don't like the, the, the very like prevalent mindset of Africa being a, a, a developmental country, right? Because of the resources and ability we have. And that's what that's what it is. It's that, it's that trade-off. Do you value these low-income jobs that ultimately don't better Africa, don't develop skills ever, but ultimately pay people?
1: Dan, do you believe different forms of collective ownership could be the solution here?
5: Look, so I think it's important to understand that uh, we've been using – we've been speaking about different forms of technological innovation quite interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and so when it, when it comes to things like technological innovation that replaces jobs, um, I think collective ownership may be a little bit mismatched as a solution to, mm. to that. Um, and there, oh, I, I do think I, I just want to add, although this, I, I, given what we said in the debate, because we had to, because you're on that side, um, <laughs> I think, I think it is important to clarify that, that in economics, the, there isn't much of a consensus on, uh, the effects of technological innovation On job losses But what is generally understood Is that Where you lose some jobs Some other jobs are created yeah. Right So it's more about Shifting the patterns of employment As opposed to A reduction or increase In employment But absolutely. when 38% of those jobs Are low skilled How do you shift the patterns So this is the thing Right Is that I think Where collective ownership um could be useful. Yeah. Um. Is potentially as a form of either entrepreneurship, um, or job creation in alternative industries. Um. To sh- to shift the patterns of 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 job creation. Um. But I don't think collective ownership would necessarily solve, uh, things like automation replacing the need for workers in a certain industry. I I think, I think the the problem there isn't so much the ownership, but the capacity for um technolo- technology to extend your marginal returns, uh, when, when you're producing goods. And I think that's something that, that collective ownership is am really going to address.
1: Sure. so I'm going to give you the last C here. Technology, promise or peril?
5: Look, I think
0: um, the, the quality of this discussion um, is, is quite encouraging. Mm. I, I think that that, that's, that should be stated, but I also think that this particular discussion ends up being an ethical question, yeah because in the midst of technology innovation there's the ethics of innovation um, yeah. and what does that imply yeah. because I mean uh, Dan quite rightly mentioned the idea of, 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 of marginal utility, particularly if, particularly if you 're in the tech sector um, it 's it's, it's similar to, to capitalism and the the bottom line, um, how far is too far? Um, uh. And so what is the ethical guide for us in terms of what um, becomes our bottom line as, as an organization, as a society, as a people? And so I think this particular discussion, therefore, after having all of the, the points that have been raised – we need to dig deeper in terms of what are some of the ethical considerations within in this respect. I also appreciated the uh, fact that um, uh, this discussion is located in the African context yeah, because absolutely. development in yeah. other in other parts of the globe and development in the continent is quite vastly different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw in in, in the West, particularly well, the U.S. specifically, the innovation of uh, the touchscreens that we have. It was as a result of uh, research and uh, government grants by the um, the military in the U.S. Yeah. and so a lot of the innovation that have come out of the U.S. has been as a result of government mm. subsidies. That's true. And so the role of the regulatory environment, again, one of the four considerations of upward social mobility mm. in the African context, what is the role of African governments mm. to ensure that mm. there is mm. inclusive innovation that harnesses Africa's development? Yeah. And so, yeah, th- that would be my parting shot in this discussion.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, from steam to electricity and the transmission lines, the technology that we've seen over the last few years has been thought to help capitalism avoid a collapse for a certain time. But when the operating system is predatory, when it works against working class people, when disruptive technologies stop becoming a trendy phase and become a deadly reality – when capitalism appropriates, owns and patents new technologies, which eventually has an impact on the economically vulnerable. The original idea of the Google founders was the association of computer geeks and experts in this free access of information and knowledge. What could have been this cooperative space has now become a conglomerate of a galaxy of billionaires. And what we will see is that an organic crisis is, is being generated every single day. And one that has the potential to destroy capitalism as we know it. In fact, as Marx predicted. And so beyond this debate, as as Ndumiso um, positively states, the prospects of capitalism in the context of technology, we have to look at ethics. We have to look at the people. This debate is about people. People have survived devastating wars. People have survived social unrest. People have survived socioeconomic catastrophes across the planet. And those same people cannot be left behind in this full IR, That was The Interchange and see you next time.
0: This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by EPSA and Simu, amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange, seeing Africa through a youthful <laughs> lens.